Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Cheryl Zack is another one of those amazing women from Michigan. This mother, wife, and personal coach is also the president of Affirmations. Metro Detroit's Community Center for Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, and Transgender People and Their Allies, which is located in Ferndale, Michigan. Originally from Burton, Michigan, a suburb of Flint, Cheryl now calls Detroit home. Although a stay-at-home mom, Cheryl remembers her mother always taking an active role in building community. Building community a place where people feel they belong, is an important part, not only of Cheryl's role at Affirmations, but what she tries to share with her corporate clients. She left a successful career in the corporate world to start her own firm, Cheryl Zack Coaching and Consulting, providing leadership and personal coaching for individuals and businesses. She's been guiding professionals through their work and life journeys for over 20 years. With the current pandemic, Cheryl has expanded her client base to include individuals. A fan of Oprah Winfrey, she took to heart Winfrey's words that life whispers to you all the time and encourages others to listen to the whisper before it becomes a roar. With her election to board president at Affirmations, Cheryl recognizes she stands on the shoulders of the many incredible lesbians who built the organization, including Jan Stevenson, who was not only one of the founders, but also the first executive director, former board members and donors, Nancy Katz and Margot Dickmiller, Tori Hamilton, and Leslie Thompson, among others. Her goal professionally and at Affirmations is to help people find the place where they belong. Cheryl, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. So, I mean, I am happy to talk to you. It's sort of funny. We both have connections with the same organization, and I had sort of like, gotten away from affirmations for a while to where I didn't know who was who, who was what, you know, who's on the board. I don't know, you know. So (laughs) it was nice to start to meet people who were engaged and involved and sort of see how things that 
Some things change, but some things remain the same. And that's why I met you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think I, I think I remember when we met. I think it might have been at one of the town halls during the time mm-hmm. that Affirmations was struggling, and mm-hmm. you attended, and and many other Affirmation supporters attended. And I think that's the first time that we met. You're right. And the thing is, <laughs> like you can't. I mean, and it was like it'd been easy. You were, it was like that, that part of wanting to, to reach out to people. Do you know what I mean? You, you extended yourself. And I was like, okay, cool, you know. <laughs> Who's this? I don't know her, but cool, you know. And I thought that was really great. That's part of even when a, uh, something is struggling, the commitment of people and that reaching out and making those connections is what's going to make it. And so that was my first impression of you. Yeah, you know, it was such a difficult time for affirmations, and I know we'll talk about affirmations more, but it was a really difficult time for affirmations, and I was fairly new to the board, hadn't been on on the board very long, and I think the board overwhelmingly had this feeling like we have to make connections with the community, we have to draw Mm -hmm. them in, we need their support now more than ever. And so I kind of made it a personal mission to try to get to know the people who came to those town halls, but the people who came to the center regularly. I'm kind of an introvert, actually, but I force myself to (laughs) go up and Mm -hmm. introduce myself and make the connection and draw people in. So I'm glad that you felt that from me. Oh, yeah. You know, um, that's interesting that you're an introvert because, and, and, you know, and, and finding out about you, I was listening to this interview, and you talked about your mom, and I said, I know that woman, you know. Uh, and I know you. I am the daughter of that woman, too, because you talked about how your mother could be a cult leader. My mother was one of those people who were like, when I started, you know, like when I came out, like she was all in. And, and when I always did community, she was always all in. And I would say, well, this is my mother. And I would disappear. And later on, I would, I would find out that my mother had told them that her name wasn't Michelle's mother. Her name was Mary. And she had <laughs> friends, and they were inviting her over and I heard that when you were talking about your mom. Do you find that, do you, did you hear that little voice or was that that little hand behind you saying, yeah, okay, you've got to make community. Get on up there, <laughs> you know, go talk to folks. Yeah, you know, I think there was some of that. You know, one of the things that I didn't talk about in that um, uh, interview, but I'll talk about it here, is my parents, both of my parents actually, were at, they've both passed now mm-hmm. so but they were avid volunteers they I grew up in the mm. Flint area I grew up in Burton so for those who are familiar with the Flint area and um, and my parents volunteered for everything whether it be really involved in politics in the Democratic Party or uh, my mom ran our congressman's campaign for a number of years they were super involved in the muscular dystrophy association they what they really did instill in me is this idea that community is important and we're mm. and we are lucky and we have a lot in our lives and it's important to share that and to give back when we can that was actually a major driving force for me when I got connected with affirmations that's what I was trying to live out that value that they instilled in me and it had been lacking prior to that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and it, it's interesting how you how you say that because, like you said, you came from Burton, which is near Flint, and I know many people, and now you live down here. I grew up yeah. in Detroit with, and those were some of the very things that I saw that, you know, and I think that there was some time when I went kicking and screaming, I'm not going to be that person, but then I am that person. That, that <laughs> part about giving back and, and doing it, you know, and when I think back, because I've lost both of my parents also, I go back and sometimes I can remember a moment where it didn't click right then, you know, yeah. but later on as you do it, you go like, you know, I got that, you know. Yeah. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's so interesting that you say that because I reflect on something with my mom quite a bit, which was my mom was uh, a stay-at-home mom. So my dad worked, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I, oh, growing up, I always thought of her as that, as a stay-at-home mom. But now, when I look back, and this, it, it was a kind of a moment for me that clicked, I realized through her volunteer um, activities, she was consistently a leader in those activities. Every time I saw her um, in her volunteer, she was either the chairperson, she was, and I thought, wow, it's so funny that I had this idea of her as being a stay-at-home mom, which she was, of course, but she was also a community leader. And it took me until my adulthood to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, isn't that funny? Because, you know, often, you know, when talking to women and they'll say, oh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And when yeah. you stop and you find out that they were, they were doing this, they were doing that, you know, yeah. they were resourceful. They did, you know, and the fact that she could have been that leader and ran that household, I mean, you know, those are some juggling skills, you know. For sure it is, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. I thought it was, you know, and I think that it was the other thing that I liked about that that me brought us closer together, even though we're part, <laughs> was when you talked about your mom because, there are things now that I can reflect upon about my mom. And it was like, you know, I am her kid, and or she did this. And I think mm-hmm. that that's great, particularly as you have women are now taking more leadership roles, that, you know, you're able to say, yes, yeah, she was a stay-at-home mom, but she also did this, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And also I feel like I see a fuller picture of her Uh now, you know, Mm -hmm. than I did when I was, which makes sense, I suppose. We see, as children, we see things through the lens of children, and she was my caregiver, of course, so, but Mm -hmm. now as an adult, I see a fuller picture of the woman she was, not just the mom she was. Mm -hmm. Now, you were from Burton. Now you're down here in southeast Michigan. You know, many people, when they think of, if you say you're from Michigan, the first thing that they often want to assume is from you're from the metro Detroit area, which all with all of its history in there. But Michigan is a really big state, <laughs> and yeah. it has different industries and different types of communities all over. What drew you to the metro Detroit area, and what do you see that's similar that reflects upon the diversity of a state, but also how it is? You know, we are the same. Mm-hmm. This is an excellent question. <laughs> so I, I came to, um, I moved from the Flint area to uh, Metro Detroit, and I reside in Detroit now, but um, mm-hmm. because I got married, <laughs> mm-hmm. and my spouse lived here, so that's what got me to this area, um, uh, ex-spouse now. But um, 
So the, what I see in similarities, um, gosh, that's an excellent question. I don't know that I reflected on that. I suppose it's around, um, you know, Flint has some grit and some, mm -hmm. also that sense of community and the sense of maybe we're in it together and let's, let's pull together uh, to make change. And I feel that very much in Detroit as well. I mean, there also can be, I mean, every city doesn't, has its issues, certainly, and there, we have a long way to go. But um, I do feel like that, that feeling of um, how can we make a difference, how can we make it better, how can we make connection, I feel like that's similar. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. so, well, now you're a Detroiter. Now you're ours, you know, and we're going to Flint. But you're ours, and yeah. we're going to keep you. <laughs> we're keeping I'm perfectly you, you know? fine with that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I mean, really, and, it, and it's interesting because it is. I mean, I've been to parts of Michigan where people are like, oh, why would you go there? And it's like, well, there are certain things that you hear. And I think that one of them, I know I was in Howell, and someone was like, well, why would you come here to listen to us talk about our kids. I said, because, you know, what's happening to your kids are happening to our kids. And sometimes yeah. your kids end up here, you know, down here. So we have to care about the, these kids. And I think that despite the diversity of Michigan and the good and the bad, that yeah. there is that part, you know, where, where we sort of pull together. Now, yeah, I'm glad that you're yeah. here. Uh, I Thank am glad you. that you're here. And I, you know, and I think that it is important that sometimes the people who are from here, their whole existence is down here, understand, you know, it's a big state. You know, check it out. There are similarities, and, you know, you're not from another planet. One of the other things that I, I, I liked about listening to you, you know, which is really there's something about hearing you talk about you, is how you talked about, you know, like Oprah was one of, was one of your, yes. your gurus. Yes. And, and you talked about how, you know, hearing the whisper yeah. and the whisper gets louder and then it gets to the roar and you try to pass that on to other people. But, you know, you could have stayed in corporate world and, and done everything that you, that you wanted. What made you ignore the whisper? And when it got to the roar, did you and you acted on that? Did you go back and say, you know, I knew this all along? <laughs> yeah. So um, I love Oprah, <laughs> as you <laughs> mentioned, mm -hmm. and um, and yes, to tell that story, I was in my early twenties, and I happened to be home from work uh, one day when Oprah was on. Maybe I had a sick day or something. I don't know because I think she was on at four o'clock, but. Um, mm -hmm. And I was watching it, and she was talking about um, Maya Angelou, actually, who said to her, um, when we want to make a change in our lives, we start to hear this whisper in our ear, and it's just kind of whispering that there needs to be a change, something needs to happen. And then it gets a little louder, and then it gets a little louder, and then it's screaming in your ear. It becomes a roar. And she was saying, don't wait until it's a roar to take some action on it. Of course, I didn't do that. <laughs> Because mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so <laughs> what caused me to ignore it was fear. You know, mm -hmm. I think fear is such a big one for, and, and there were other aspects as well, but I think this idea of knowing, knowing, like 
knowing how Oprah talks about knowing, um, something to be true for yourself is one thing, but having the courage to take action on it when things in your life are working to some degree, it takes a lot of, it's like standing in your power, right? It takes a lot to make the change. And so for me, I kept returning to that whisper. And, and the whisper was that I wanted to be a coach. So, mm -hmm. in, you know, in my early 30s, I was really for fortunate that the organization that I worked for hired a leadership coach to come in and coach the leadership team. And from the very first coaching session, I thought, oh, this is the work. This is the work I will do one day. And I knew it. I knew it. But I had a really successful corporate career. Um, mm -hmm. You know, at this point, I was a, a divorced single mom. I, um, I needed that financial stability and security. Mm -hmm. And I had, and I loved the people I worked with. There was so much about what I did that was good. What wasn't good is it wasn't the work that made me feel like passionate and energized. And every time I started to feel a little discouraged in my career, I would hear that whisper. And I kind of knew what it, I knew it was coaching. I knew that's what it was. But I thought, nah, the time is not right. Or it's a big investment to, to learn the craft to become certified. And I kept putting it down. And then finally, in 2018, it really became a roar and my son was mm. off at school and all of that, and I thought, if not now, when? Mm. Like, it's mm -hmm. time. And once I made the decision, I was all in, and things started to fall into place, which I think mm -hmm. happens a lot with people. It's like you resist and resist and resist, and then once you decide, I'm going to do this thing, things just start clicking for you. Mm -hmm. You know, you also tell the story about your mom on St. Patrick's Day. But a thing that came through that story was the joy your mother had in being her. You know, mm. she was being herself. She was living her best life through her values. When you finally took that jump and you were standing there, did you see, have that moment where you felt, you know, hey, this is me? Yes. So much, and I think some of that comes with getting older too. Like mm -hmm. I think, especially for women, and I can only speak about women's experience. Obviously, I don't know what it feels to be a man in the world, but I think that you get when you're younger. There's a lot of self-doubt about who you are. Maybe, maybe even in the beginning, you're not sure who you are, and then there's like this self-doubt around it, and I maybe I can't show it, or I need to be something else, and. Um, that has been a struggle for me my whole life, actually. And I th think I finally got to a point now where I really do feel comfortable in my skin. I feel like I know who I am more than, than ever. I'm doing the work I love. And I finally feel like me. Mm -hmm. No. I mean, there's so many things that I can relate to with what you were just talking about because I, too, was a, a single parent. And I know that in fact, even now, people will look and they'll go like, well, I always thought you just did this. And I said, you know, I had this kid I had to raise. So, yeah, I stayed in yeah. those jobs, you know. I had to get him through school. But, you know, yes. one, what does your – my son has told me that, you know, he, he was observant and there were lessons that he learned from not only about what I did, but then 
when I had got my roar moment and I went out to do this next thing. Does your son have you? Or I don't, do you have a son or a daughter? I didn't ask. I have a son. Does I your, have a son. Yeah. Just the oh, one okay. son. Yeah. You know, yeah I, <laughs> there we go. You know, does he ever reflect back and and let you know that he saw you? He saw what you were doing and the journey that you were on? Yes, we have had those moments. I actually, I have an interesting and kind of a funny story about when he was younger and he even had some acknowledge around that. And this was, and this was before, this was when I was in the corporate world and he was young. He, this was when he was in middle school, I guess. And I was doing the mom thing. I was actually in an MBA program at the time. And I was working a full-time job that required me to travel. I mean, I was chasing it, you know, hustling. Uh-huh. And he was in the band. And it was, it was time, it was a concert, and it was um, the eighth grade parent's responsibility to bring in cookies for after the concert. And I was running late, um, as usual, uh, swooped in, picked him up on the way, and realized, oh, Cookies. And the only thing around the school was a CVS. And we ran into the CVS, and I grabbed a box of Pepperidge Farms cookies, um, mm-hmm. the variety pack, of course. And <laughs> <laughs> I splurged on the variety pack. And we're coming into the school, and I see this table. It's this long banquet table filled with all kinds of homemade goodies. And I lay that Pepperidge Farm box down, and I'm just feeling the guilt and the embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Like, why can't I get it together, you know? Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and said, do you wish you had a mom who baked homemade cookies? And he looked at me and said, no, I could care less about that. Mm-hmm. And I think he saw that I was chasing it, that I was doing it, that I was, you know, trying to make a great life for us and that stuff didn't matter to him it's so interesting as parents what we put on ourselves and these standards mm-hmm. we try to hold ourselves to and he didn't care about that that was not important to him so that doesn't directly answer your question but i think it kind of shows how mm-hmm. our children see us you know they see what we're trying to do mm-hmm. yeah but i often tell people you know especially when i'm talking to women who are single mothers or who are trying to figure it, that kids watch and they are learning that. And, and the fact that he got, you know, he loved you. You were his mom, you know, cookies, what, you know. You, know, you can always put them in a box and say, hey, you know, I bought them. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I bought them, you know, so here you go. Here's cookies, you know. I mean, so, but, but it is, it's like so important that, you stand in your truth because, you know, yeah. they're learning, they're watching, and a lot of what yeah. he probably learned not only is about the responsibility of being a parent, but about love and that, you know, he saw you juggling and doing everything you could, you know, and, but you were there. You were present. Yes. And I think that, that, that those are the kind of things when afterwards you sort of like shake your head and you go like, but you know what? I came out okay. I mean, the kid came out okay. I did the best I could, and he got it, and he turned out okay. You know, so that is that is just phenomenal. Oh, so what was it about 
when you had that coach come in, what was it about hearing the message, seeing what they did, their program, that made you say, this is what I'm supposed to do? Yeah. Um, I've always been someone who likes to help people. I um, was drawn to, um, I did HR, human resources in my career, among other mm-hmm. things, but um, I was drawn to that as a profession because of the ability to support and help people and see them grow. And um, I think when I was growing up, I thought I might become a teacher or a therapist or something like that. And coaching is kind of along those lines. It's a little different, but of course it's along those lines. And I, and other than that, it's hard to explain. It's, again, that kind of just deep knowing, like your gut is telling you something that you don't have a lot of reasons behind. It's just this, like, feeling. I just knew it like I knew, you know, the sky was blue. And, um, mm-hmm. and I'm glad to say there was a part of me when I decided to pursue it, when I finally decided to, to pursue it and get the coaching certification, there was a moment of like, oh gosh, what if I do this and I don't love it? Um, because it's expensive and, um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like completely re- just upending my career. What if I don't really love it? I'm happy to say that that's not the case. <laughs> I mm-hmm. really, really love doing it and it fills my cup. And um, I'm glad that I listened to my gut about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that is. I mean, and it is. I mean, you know, they talk about it's, it's a leap of faith, but it's also a leap on, on your core beliefs. Because, yeah, you know, corporate world, going out here on your own doing this, you know, will you love it, will you won't love it, you think you're going to love it. And it, it, it's a leap that you, yeah. that you take. Do you, do you ever regret not having listened to that whisper sooner? I've thought about that. Um, I don't. I, I try not to have regrets uh, in my mm-hmm. life in general because I feel like, and I bet you can identify with this as well, I feel like everything that happens to us in our lives comes when we need it, and, mm-hmm. it's, and there's a lesson to learn in it. And had I done it before now, maybe I wasn't ready yet, you know, maybe I, because there's a lot when you're running your own business. It's just, it's not just the coaching. It's I'm my marketing person. I'm my salesperson. I'm everything, right? And I think maybe the universe didn't bring it to me sooner because I wasn't quite ready for it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I needed still to learn some things. And so, no, I don't. Now that I love it, sometimes I think, ah, oh, I wish I'd been doing this my whole career. But then I think, you know what, maybe I wasn't ready yet to do it. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a great perspective because, you know, and, and I'm telling you, I think you're my sister from another mother. <laughs> I often believe that too, you know, yeah, well, but, you know, it happens when it's supposed to happen. Uh, when, you, when you've built up enough, you know, and you, you've got that sort of intestinal fortitude, as they say, to, to go out here and hang in there and do it where maybe – Earlier in your career, you would have been lured back. You know, yeah. Let me go and do, let me go do this. You know, uh, get that paycheck. We're here. It's sort of like it's all on you. It's all on you. Yeah. You know, and the pandemic would have certainly <laughs> put me right back into the corporate world. I probably would have I said, know. "Oh, this is too much." <laughs> I know. Well, Cheryl, we're going to take a quick break. Then I want to talk about 
your business, the pandemic, and where it's taken you. So we'll be right back. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. back here on Collections by Michelle. And if you're just joining me, I am talking to Cheryl Zach. She coach, she does coaching and consulting. She's a leadership coach, amongst other things. Um, the pandemic. Oh, my God. First of all, how did, and so there's some ways that I can see that you could continue to do things virtually, but how did that change? And you know, when you that that personal, interpersonal, you sometimes you can't get that through a Zoom conference. How did when the pandemic hit? How did you pivot your business, and and how did your business change? So this is um, a fantastic question. I, the interesting thing for me is I was actually doing my coaching remotely, anyways. So um, one of the things that um, when you become a coach and you go through a, a coaching program, you train yourself on really listening to people, like deep, deep listening to people. And you find that, and I, I, this is what you do as well in, 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 in your podcast, you're really tuning in, you're hearing me, you're listening to me, and you're thinking about thoughtful questions to ask me related to that. And that's what you do as a coach. And you can do that over the phone. You can hear inflections mm-hmm. in people's voice. You can tell when they're getting choked up. You can tell when they're excited about something or passionate. And so I was doing coaching remotely, mostly on the phone, actually. And that opened up my ability to coach people from all across the country or all across the world, for that matter. And now I see that there's a willingness uh, to do it on Zoom, on video, where that wasn't in the past. So a lot of my clients mm-hmm. would say, yes, okay, I'm comfortable doing it over the phone, but um, I really don't want to get on video. They were like a little hesitant about that. Now there's a complete openness to doing on video. So I see that as a plus um, from the pandemic um, because now I get to see them. I'm not just listening for those cues, but I can see the body language as well, which is really nice. Um, one of the silver linings, another for me in the pandemic, that has been the most pleasant and unexpected outcome is people's willingness to connect and network in a way via phone, via video that I've never seen before. It used to be if you wanted to network with people, you wanted to meet people, you had to go to an in-person event. And so you Mm -hmm. were pretty much stuck to the geographic area that you lived in unless you had an enormous travel budget. And it meant that your, your pool of connections was smaller. 
And as I mentioned um, at the top of the call, I'm an introvert. And so walking into a network event really just brought up the whole anxiety for me. My heart's racing, sweaty palms, kind of feeling like I'm forcing myself to make connections. But this idea of connecting virtually where maybe I'm attending a network event and then we break out into smaller, say, Zoom rooms, feels very comfortable. Or mm -hmm. um, I, I've started to develop a really amazing community on LinkedIn where we invite each other for virtual coffee. I have met so many amazing people from all over the country uh, just by connecting with them on LinkedIn and saying, do you want to grab a virtual coffee? It has been actually it's so weird to say this, but in a, the year of the pandemic, I have felt more connected to people than I ever have before. Mm -hmm. You know, I can, I, you know, it's funny because I've talked to, you know, both sides, and we'll talk about the other side. I, mean, I have talked to people on organizations and boards. Um, I'm, uh, you know, where there's people like all over, and like you said, you're able to often hear how it's working someplace else. Uh, share something that you might not have known about, you know, and then bring it back to it. And it's sort of like, this is so, it's amazing. I've talked to many people whose businesses, and you say, well, how did it go? And they said, it, it's sort of it's growing. It's doing. I'm able to reach out and reach to more people and and talk about what I'm doing, my passion, get some tips, pick up business, because you're not limited to that one geographic area. You know, so, I mean, I think that that part is really great. Do you ever get, like, Zoom tired or, like, where you're, you're talking to it and you're waiting to go into that, that small room because sometimes when you have that screen and all these faces, maybe you're missing something? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. I actually really love the video technology, so um, mm -hmm. not so much in those um, instances, but last week, I have to say last week was kind of a crazy week for me. I had done uh, a uh, virtual event where I was like a, a speaker on a virtual event, and, and a lot of the people who watched it reached out to me, which was amazing, and I love that. And they said, hey, do you um, want to grab a coffee? And I was all in, but I overscheduled myself. And so mm. I had too many of them, and I did find myself getting really fatigued. It was hard for me to really be completely present with the person that I'm talking to, which is something that I strive for. Um, and so it was the first time when I realized, oh, this is what zoomed out feels like. Yeah, it is. It can get that way. One of the things that I heard you talk about, is that you're also hearing from individuals. And I have talked to a lot of people to where, particularly in this, this has been like a time of reset, like where they're looking at what have they been doing and they recognize that they weren't living to their values, that like they were making that paycheck, but they had heard the whisper, you know. Mm -hmm. But And suddenly... Um, the roar was the pandemic. It was like, you know, you need to sit your keister down, <laughs> and this is what you need to think about what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I've heard so many people, and then they're just like sort of branching out and doing things, um, and it's just like, well, I had this, and it's something that I really love, and some of them, it, it has really grown into something bigger. Are you finding many people 
are finding that this time isn't, you know, they're not just worried about, you know, can I get the vaccine? Am I going to get tested? But evaluating how they're living and what's important to them. Yeah, you know, I've talked about this several times because it really has become a theme in both the client work that I do, but just in the people that I'm speaking to is this idea that prior to the pandemic, they were just kind of on this hamster wheel of life, right? They're just doing the next Mm -hmm. thing, doing kind of like me back when my son was (laughs) in middle school Mm -hmm. in that band story. Like, I'm just trying to make it happen. Um, Mm -hmm. And not really pausing to think about it, just going, 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 the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And then all of a sudden, we all, just like our beautiful Mother Earth has paused and replenished, we too have paused, and some of it's a forced pause. For some of us, it's not like we wanted this. We didn't want to be furloughed. We didn't want to work from home and educate our children and all of that, but we were forced into it. But what it has done is caused people to start evaluating and thinking, is this really what I want to do? Like, am I happy really? Is this the life I want to live? And does it... um, align with my values, with what I really want in life? And for many people, that answer is no. Mm-hmm. And then it becomes, then what is it? And that can be hard to know, especially when we've dedicated our whole lives to something. And it's all, all we are. That's who we think we are. Um, it can be hard to know what's next. And one of the things that um, happened for me um, during the pandemic was I had to shift um, who my customers are. I think I might have spoken about this in the, in the um, interview that you heard, where mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic, I was mostly just working in corporate environments, um, coaching leaders in the corporate setting. And when the pandemic happened, those budgets froze. And I had some engagements that I was in the middle of that I finished, but new engagements weren't coming in. But what happened was individuals started reaching out to me because they were thinking about a career transition. Some of them had lost their jobs and they just needed help finding a new job. And some of them were trying to figure out what, what can I do? What do I want to do next? Like I realize I'm not happy now. What do I want to do next? And so because I think the universe is a beautiful thing and it brings us what we need, all of a sudden I had private clients who were trying to figure that out and needed help with a transition. And, and I've really enjoyed that work as well. It's actually very, very fulfilling work to do. You know, I mean, because you, you gave, like, the, the three steps, and I know that the other thing, and like I said, I've talked to people, and they were talking about how they weren't living their values. They were caught up in this rat race. They were maybe even at some place that was diametrically opposed to who they were, but they were yeah. going for that paycheck. And also, I often believe that the universe will provide what you need. And when they decided, oh, I'm going to try and do this, you know, the universe started to provide, and they were able to do this. I have a friend who in New York and um, was in real estate, and everything just went, but had always been an artist and got back mm-hmm. into doing the art. You know, mm-hmm. and she's got a great little business. You know, and, and so you, you see people who are are doing things and going all over. I think that in the many different things that 
I do, I have a broader audience, you know. Like someone will say, well, what are you doing? I said, well, I'm doing this in, in you know, New Jersey from home. <laughs> I mean, so it, it like opens up all these doors. The other thing that you said is to get over what would others think. And, you know, yeah. I mean, really, I mean, some people are going to think like, whatever, you know. I mean, you could go up there and, and win the Nobel Peace Prize, and they're going to think what they're going to think, you know. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that's the part to me that is just like so weird, you're worried about that. And this reset really has, has given people time to be introspective. How do you, when you're talking to someone, do you ever recognize that you need to tell them, you know, you need to get over what people think you are, and who are you? Yeah, you know, um, part of the uh, being a coach is this balancing act between um, listening to your client and meeting them where they are and pushing them a little bit, right? Because um, obviously we have to get outside of our comfort zones to make some change in our lives. And sometimes we need someone to push us a little bit. And oftentimes when I'm working with a client, our first conversation, in our very first conversation, I say, how do you feel about me challenging you? And most people say, well, that's why I'm here. (laughs) Um, um, But I really try to get a feel for how much pushing is too much pushing. Some clients I can be completely open with. I can call it how I see it. And some I need to sugarcoat a little bit more. But I absolutely have sometimes said, you know, I try to do it in a questioning way to help them get to that answer themselves. Like, um, you know, how much of your identity is tied to that or um, what would happen? What do you think is going to happen? What do you think people are going to say? And why would that matter? Like, what a bad thing is going to happen? I think what we find is we are creating this in our own mind. You know, we certainly can't control what people are going to say, but actually most of the time, people aren't really too concerned with what we're doing unless it impacts them directly. You know, they might see us doing this or that, and they, whatever. It's not a major thought for them. We are holding ourselves back with these identities that we've created for ourselves and feeling like people won't accept us. If if we showed who we truly were, people wouldn't accept us. And generally, that's not the case. And if it is the case for you that you surround yourself with people who cannot accept you for who you are, then you need to find a different community. Now, when you were doing this, I mean, and I, and I, I, I see your son, I mean, because I've had those kind of moments, and, you know, you decided to do this. You know, he, he was up there. You know, you had taken care of all of that. And I know that, I mean, my son knows, you know, my mom, my mom's always doing something, you know, and she's, she's good at it and she's going to try things. But was it, did you have, and the most important validation I, to me is my son. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. he can say I'm his crazy mom and that's fine as long as, you know, he knows, he, he tells me, you know, that he always knew there were challenges, but he always saw I found a way to overcome them. When you got ready to take that step, what did you have to, did you have a moment when you were like, people are going to think, oh, I'm throwing away a great career, I'm going to do that? And what, 
How did you get over it? So I will have to say this. By the time I finally decided to make the shift, that scream, that roar was so loud that it silenced everything else. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have this thing with what are people going to think. I, I did in the beginning have a little bit of an issue with putting my services out there, like um, reaching out to my network and saying, hey, now I'm doing this, because I felt like I was asking them for a favor instead of offering a valuable service. I've since shifted my mindset around that. But I didn't have that moment of who am I pretending to be. I had that around coming out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> which we can talk about. I haven't really spoken uh-huh. about that very much, but um, <laughs> but not uh-huh. so much around the professional career choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, and and that and that is, I mean, you know, when you, you know, it's sort of like, I think that in part, we talk about living authentically and that coming out aspect of it. I mean, you know, it's sort of like, okay, so if you can get over me being gay or, you know, if you can deal with it because I'm not going back in, then, you know, you can deal with the rest. Yeah. Did they happen, did that, did your hearing the roar and going into what you were meant to do and coming out, were they happening at the same time? They were not happening at the same time, but... They happened both in my adulthood. So mm-hmm. um, I met my wife, my, my uh, wife, Jen, um, uh, 10 years ago. And um, I'm, I'm, Michelle, I'm really telling you a big scoop on my personal life right now. <laughs> uh, she was my first girlfriend. And so mm-hmm. um, what I knew to be true about myself, what I knew to be true about myself, others publicly didn't know. And Mm so um, when I met Jen and we started dating, um, I felt very strongly that I wanted to be forthright about this to all of my communities. Mm -hmm. It was really important to me to live authentically. You talked about living authentically. And that Mm -hmm. is a value of mine. And I felt very strongly that that I wanted to do that. And that meant people in my professional life learning something personal about me and seeing me in a different way. And that felt scary. Mm -hmm. What I found was, because I knew that there would be gossip about it and talking about it and you know, it was surprising, I think, for a lot. Of, it was not surprising for me, something I knew about myself, but it was surprising for other people. And I knew that there would be people who would talk about it. Oh, did you hear about Cheryl and all of that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got really okay with that because I felt like it was important for me to be real and to be who I was. And um, what I found was the people who really loved me and cared about me, even professionally, not just talking about my family, but like my professional um, co-workers and contacts and network, they love and care about me. And of course they accept me 
it didn't matter to them at all. Like, what, why would that matter? Like, you are who you are. Mm-hmm. Maybe there was an initial surprise because they'd seen me in a different way, but there was complete openness and, and all of that. But that was a time. That was the time in my life where I thought, okay, I've been this other person or I've, people have seen me in a different way and now they're going to see me differently and that's a little scary. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in part, there's, you know, because I often tell people, you know, it's like, you think uh, I'm able to relate coming out to when they're afraid to try and do things. I'm going like, you know, really, trust me, what you want to come out and do is a whole lot easier, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't have all of those. And that's part of when you're talking about, you know, living to your values. You wanted, your value was to be authentic, to be that whole person. So it wasn't like, okay, well, I can just go ahead and do, you know, my consulting practice and they'll just think, yeah, I'm just like so great, but I won't talk about this. But it was important that people who worked with you, who knew you, that they knew all of you. And it's easy to get over what others would think when you've told them and you recognize that what they think about you is based on love. Because if they love you, they're going to support you. They may shake their head for a minute, you know, but Mm -hmm. people who love you, really love you, want success for you and want you to be your true self. You know, and I also felt, I felt kind of this responsibility in a way because at that point, um, so this was 10 years ago, this wasn't that long ago, you know, and um, Mm -hmm. at that point I had had a fair amount of career success and all of that and... I felt like I had the luxury to be who I was. I don't, I don't think everyone has that luxury um, mm-hmm. to be in the world who they are and not worry about the repercussions. We know that that's not the case. I mm-hmm. felt pretty comfortable with where I was in my career and felt like um, it, there would be no damage to my career because of it, mm-hmm. and um, that was a privilege that I had. And And because of that, I had a responsibility to be honest about it so that others who maybe weren't um, where they, where I was in my career, maybe they were just starting out or whatever, so that they could be who they were, right? I was a leader in my organization. I had to be honest Mm -hmm. because even though it scared me, because then others could be honest in who they were. So I felt Mm -hmm. this overwhelming responsibility to, to do that. You know, even though we've come a long way, you know, there are, like you said, there are still boundaries. I mean, you know, um, there are still people who are going to hit it. And what I often find, too, is like, because you talk about um, being realistic, and there are young people who are out there, and then they hit the corporate world and recognize, well, depending on where they are, they can or cannot be there. They have to tone, they'll, they'll get the, that, that look, like tone it down or whatever. Yeah. As you're working with them and you're how real, you know, without, you know, shooting bubbles in it, like we want to get there. We want to get to the point to where you can come and bring your whole self in. You don't have to go in and immediately go like, hi, I'm gay, you know, but you are, right. you know, where you can just be yeah. you. And not be put into a silo, not be, but be allowed to just sort of be that and to, by being out 
affect the people who are around you? How do you bring your life experience to those who are coming to you saying, you know, like, I've been in this, you know, I've been working in this place where I'm in the closet or I just don't talk about my life. How do you help them grasp them, recognize that, you know, even within a corporate place, if people are their authentic selves and are able to bring them whole, their whole selves to the table, they're a better employee. How do you bring that message to an individual, but also on a corporate level? And when yeah. they're talking about developing leadership. Yeah, so one of the things that I do, just to speak to the leadership, is um, when I'm working with corporate leaders, um, and usually organizations that have hired me to be a coach care a lot about their culture, um, their company culture, and wanting a sense of openness. You know, this is one of the reasons they seek out coaching or coaching for their leadership. I talk about belonging a lot. Belonging mm-hmm. is a, a um, key kind of message for me. Um, in you know, we talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, all important, but we must have belonging in order for any of those initiatives to be effective. And so I try to coach leaders about what it means to have an environment, foster an environment, where people can really feel like they can be themselves and they are welcome and they're accepted and they belong. It's not even just I'm accepted here. It's like I belong here. These are my people. So it's one of the things that I I try to work with leaders in about how to foster that sense of belonging. Um, And then for people who come to me about this idea of bringing their, their whole self to work and the fear of that, I think you have to gauge the culture of the workplace. You know, there are certain workplaces where um, that kind of information is going to be received very well. Like it's, it's going to be even welcomed because they're trying to foster that sense of belonging. And there's certain environments where it could, it could hurt your career if you talk about it. Mm-hmm. My, my, um, my advice certainly isn't like be honest at all costs. I wish that the world worked that way, but it doesn't. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you have to be careful and be observant and maybe then ultimately try to find your way into an environment that will um, let you have that sense of belonging for who you truly are. You know, maybe making a shift and planning for a shift. Now, we've, we've gone through a thing, you know, from 2016 to 2020. We went through a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as you looked at, what did you see as far as leadership? You know, I have, I, you know, sometimes I do like some consulting places. I went to some places where it was like, wow. You took this Make America Great thing a little bit overboard, and it wasn't welcoming. It wasn't, you know, where diversity and inclusion suddenly, like, they were like, you know, people want special favors, and we want to get back to this, and aren't you happy to be worked? People looked at it as the dollars and cents, people who were very corporate-minded, and so, you know, forget the part of feeling like you belong. You know, we're going to make America great again. How did you – how is – did you travel that as you were working with people and with companies? And what do you feel is going to happen now besides a huge sigh of relief? Mm-hmm. 
I feel like the organizations that I worked with, organizations that would engage me um, as a coach, already kind of get it. They understand the importance in investing money in training and development for their leadership team. And so they're already willing to spend money on something where the, the return on investment isn't as clear, you know, that there is, it isn't like if we buy this machine, we can produce more widgets, you know, mm-hmm. coaching is more, um, it's harder to grasp than that. And so organizations that are going to engage with me already get it. They already understand when you create a work environment where people can be, bring their whole selves, you tap into creativity and innovation And, uh, you know, ideation that leads to productivity and morale and lower employee turnover. Like, there is a direct line to the bottom line when you do that. And the organizations that hire me get that, and they're just trying to figure out the how of how to get there. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like they are already a little more awake, (laughs) you know. and I feel that looking forward into 2021, so what I was worried about is what we were, went through uh, this past summer with um, mm-hmm. the awareness around um, police brutality, and I'm certainly not an activist in this way to speak about this, but I think you know, my concern was that people were jumping on this. Let me me back it up. I want to choose the right words. People were so um, sickened and shocked. Some people, some people were well aware that this was happening, but sickened and shocked by what happened that they moved themselves to take actions that they wouldn't have done in the past. And my worry was that there was going to be this um, action that didn't have longevity. You know what I'm trying to say? Like it was going to bring people to the cause and then people were going to step away because it was, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not shocked anymore or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. and on the corporate side, we saw organizations hiring DE&I directors, bringing in DE&I training. We saw corporations realizing we too have a responsibility and we too need to do something. And I worried that once the initial shock of all of this started to wear off, that they would step away from that. I have not seen that. I'm curious to know what you've Mm -hmm. seen because I know this is an area Mm -hmm. for you as well. I've not seen that happen and that makes me feel really hopeful. Yeah, I know, you know, because it's sort of like we've had these moments before, and it's like they mm-hmm. snatch the Band-Aid off, and it, it bleeds, yeah. and everybody, you get their T-shirts and their signs, and they do that. And then after a news cycle, you know, they put the T-shirts and the signs away, and it, maybe people will talk about it, that, that occurrence, but to really get into what is systemic and what. Yeah. that it's more than a, a quick fix. Like I, I did a thing um, recently <laughs> that happened to be out of Princeton, New Jersey, and I was saying, you know, like it's not, there's no quick fix. It's not a one election. It was great to see 
cross culture that you saw young, you saw old, you saw people yeah. of color, you saw black, brown, all of these people who were aware of it. But you also had someone who was over education who was trying to strip out these things that people needed to know that brought up yeah. to these moments. So, you know, it's sort of like we ripped it off. Now we have to really sort of like get into it. And even with what, I mean, when you put on your whole human resource hat. I mean, when I'm, I'm listening to you mm-hmm. talking, I think from a human resource perspective, when, as you start to talk to people like that you value more than the bottom line, that you want people to come to the thing, you understand how their experience, whether they're black, brown, female, or maybe they're not speaking their truth or contributing to and we won't, all you'll do is end up at, back at the same space again, that we just have to continue to work and do it. And I am hopeful, like you said, that I think that just looking at who showed up and that many people continue to show up and are talking about it that, and, and doing more than just talking about it, they're making actions and yes. finding out about things where it won't just be, wait till the next news cycle or uh, wait till every February and you think about what happened to black people and what didn't happen or the right. next person who was shot, that this is, is going to go. And as we wrestle with it, you know, as we wrestle with it and the fact that, you know, that this is things that have happened again and again and again, we won't make it better until we make it better. So yeah. I get what you're talking about. I think that that is like so important and that's, I feel more hopeful, but I also recognize that it's even more work to do. Absolutely. We so much more work to do. And um, I think there's this tendency that people have where they feel enraged and, and it, it's a call to action. And then when they start feeling less rage, they step away from the action. And, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like it... Um, we're probably preaching to the choir right now because the people who are drawn to listen to mm-hmm. um, your show are, aren't the ones that need to hear this, but um, you need to keep your foot on the gas pedal past the point of being enraged. You know, it's still mm-hmm. all of the systemic issues and problems are still there just because you aren't feeling the passion around it right now. You've moved on. doesn't mean it isn't there. The work is still there. The work is definitely mm-hmm. still there. Well, that's a great transition. We're going to take another break, and then I want to come back and talk about the the tie that binds for you and I, affirmations. So we'll be right okay. back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode.
more back here on collections by Michelle Brown. I'm talking with Cheryl Zach, who is my sister from another mother. You know, we just <laughs> discovered it. You know, <laughs> she's uh, a coach. She's a mom. She's also the president of the Board of Affirmations. And as many of you know, Affirmations is Michigan's, it has, it has I would say, premier, although we have a lot of great organizations. Affirmations, and I'll tell you, Cheryl, I, I was with, um, I can tell you that there have been many times that I have gone to other states, other cities, and there will be someone at some point in time who will either come up and ask me if affirmations are still there, and I'm happy to tell them yes. Mm-hmm. Always has a, a story. There's many stories from back in the day when it began, people who first contact with LGBT community with their tribe was through the Affirmations Hotline. Um, people who I was there, you know, like who came together when we were in the old building, then we moved to the new building, have seen it go through its ups and downs. And like I said, you know, I had sort of like stepped away for a while. But when Affirmations was like, hey, we're trying to get it together here, People came. Yeah. All right, people came, and Affirmations is still here. How has Affirmations been handling the pandemic? So one of the things that I have to say right at the beginning of any conversation about Affirmations is how lucky we are to have David Garcia back. Amen. Um, yep. <laughs> uh, uh, the entire board feels this way, that we are thankful and lucky. And he has built a really amazing team. And um, I have been so impressed with them through handling the pandemic. They almost immediately shifted to virtual groups. So almost immediately said, okay, the center's got to close, but we still have people to serve. What can we do? And they said, well, they were early adopters with Zoom. They even, you probably know this, they knew that the senior group, our largest group, um, maybe some seniors didn't have the technology or the Mm -hmm. knowledge around how to access Zoom. So they immediately went into, how can we we fix that? Do we need to do training? Um, Do we need to get some iPads, like what do we need to do to make this happen? Um, Services have actually, those types of services actually expanded right now where people are joining the groups from all over the world. And I believe, um, and Dave has said, that they hope to even continue this virtual component to groups even after we're able to open the center mm-hmm. again and people can mm-hmm. um, resume coming in person because it's extended to so many to so many people all around the world. So I've been so impressed with their ability to, I'm going to use the word pivot, even though I know pivot can be, a, <laughs> people are sick of that word, but mm-hmm. they've, and fundraising is another, is another place to see that where um, we couldn't have the in-person events, our two main fundraisers this year, we couldn't have them. And Dave and the staff immediately said, well, what can we do? And they put together the telethon, which was mm-hmm. 
amazing. Awesome. <laughs> yes. And then, of course, we did a, a fall fundraiser on Halloween. And so, gosh, they're so impressive. We're so lucky to have them. Mm-hmm. Well, Dave is, you know, I knew Dave when he was on the other side of the state, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. which, is, which was now out front Kalamazoo. And then he came here. And I often think of my time, like, um, during the era of Dave 1, and then I sort of like slipped away, and now there's the era of Dave 2, and there's uh, something that he brings that, that's really important, that's him. I mean, that's just him, you know, it's, it's just his enthusiasm. You know, a lot of organizations, and, and that's something to say too, a lot of organizations that I, I work with that are across the country, many have had to not just close the doors, but shutter the building. Um, I know there's one that I was working with in Atlanta, which said, uh, you know, like, we can't, uh, we can't do the overhead. Uh, there's one that um, I work with that's in uh, New Jersey, where basically they've gone totally, they had to give up their space, and they're totally doing it. I am happy, you know, one of the things about affirmations, because like I said, I've Actually, I've been on the board twice. <laughs> I was on the board pre-new building and post-new building. That's and amazing. And that was one of, one of the things about it was pre-new building, I mean, we were renting. You know, we had little spaces. It was, it was like a maze. I don't know if you've ever been to a place. It was like a maze, you know. Okay, you're down, up, and down. And then the fact of the commitment of the community, of the board to have a place that's permanent and we talk about visibility and to have the spot you know now we have a couple of places that are our permanent fixtures in southeast uh michigan right there's also the ruth ellis center but affirmations was there first and here it was right on nine mile in the heart of friendly ferndale and Mm -hmm. there's something about that visibility that really means a lot. And the fact that ups and downs, it's still there. We might not be able to go in there, but we know that place is still there and you're doing it virtually. You know, when, how did you first get introduced to affirmations? It was in 2014, and I was really looking for um, a sense of community. I had spent many years, as I said earlier on the call, um, very active career. I was going to school. I was a single mom. You know, I felt like that had spent, I spent so much of my time um, doing that. You know, it was, it was ever consuming, you know. And I got to a certain age and I realized, especially when my son got older and he started to like, go have his own life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I realized, oh, I didn't spend a lot of time cultivating friendships. And that was missing. Community was missing in my life. And, you know, looking back at my parents' example of how they um, gave back to their community and how involved they were in their community in the Flint area, I realized um, that that was lacking for me. Mm-hmm. And so... I was really interested in um, meeting friends in the community, and because I am an introvert, the idea of walking into a social event or going into a group 
really terrified me. But if I have a job, give me a job, that I'm there on business. And so I became a volunteer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So becoming a volunteer was just my way to start to meet people at Affirmations. And so I, um, I was a front desk volunteer. Uh, every Monday mm. evening from, I think it was 6 to 9, I sat at the front desk. I did that for about a year and a half and um, started getting involved in other ways then. I would... Um, represent affirmation at different events. I would um, work on the planning committees for like the fall fling. Um, Several years I volunteered for Spring Bash, um, to work Spring Bash, and so really just started to get to know people and build up that community. I stepped away, much like you, I stepped away for a few years, um, started to make some shifts in my career and kind of pulled back a little bit, but then um, Gosh, would it this have been 2016? Let's see, I'll be on the board three years in May. So right before that, I uh, went to Spring Bash. Paula Kirsch was on the board. Paula and I are very mm-hmm. good friends. We had met on a fall fling planning committee, and she was talking about the board. She was on the board, and I just mentioned kind of offhandedly, you know, I'd love to be on the board. And... Um, and from there, it just kind of, I, I had a meeting with Mike Flores and, yeah, just uh, became a board member. Did not imagine that I would then become the vice president of the board and then event, eventually the president of the board. That was not my intention. <laughs> mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Affirmations needed me to do that, so I was willing to do that. Well, you know, Affirmations, I mean, there's a lot of people, but it has a history of some pretty badass women being involved, from Jan Stevenson. Yes. You know, I mean, yes. Different Margot and Nancy, um, yeah. you know, different executive directors, at, I mean, Leslie. I mean, they were all, it has a history of from being yeah. on the board, um, leadership, you know, really badass women, although many people who would think about it, you know, they go like, well, you know, it might not immediately register to them. That it, has, it provides a space where we have led. You know, we have led, we have done amazing yeah. things. Did you think yes. about that? Yes. It's so interesting that you point that out because I have absolutely thought about that, and it's very humbling. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, when I think about the amazing women who have had leadership roles at Affirmations, and I really hold them in such high regard, um, it feels really humbling to me. And um, I feel like the word stewardship comes to my mind. Like I feel mm. like I'm this, mm-hmm. you know, guardian almost. And, um, and especially during the time that Affirmations was struggling, I felt... I really felt this responsibility to carry, not only carry on affirmations because of what it means to people, but like to carry on their work, their their mission. I very much thought about that. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I think that that was one of the things because, like you said, you know, that was when we had that town hall meeting and seeing these women, you know, who were there. And it has that history, you know, now, as you go back to leadership, you put your leadership hat on. What is the difference, the different style 
that as not only as a woman, because, you know, there's some people when they think about, if you say gay, they think of gay men. Okay, but you have a lot of programs that are in there that also are led by women. Um, I see all of this. There's a lot of vibrancy that's going on. And, and when I look at many of the pictures, I see these women. What do women bring? And what did you feel that you brought that was different, that you were going to bring different because of your life experience, because you're a woman, to affirmations as for president? Madam President. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I feel like as a woman, and I, 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 I want to be careful here because I don't want to imply that men don't mm-hmm. have these characteristics because men certainly can have these characteristics that I'm going to talk about. But um, I know for me personally as a woman in a leadership role, I think I bring this sense of wanting to connect with people. Um, And I think men bring that as well. But, um, and I don't know if it's because I'm a woman or just because it's who I am as a person. But, you know, I said earlier that, you know, it was important for me to go up and introduce myself even even though it was uncomfortable um, and and to try to remember names and try to like really get to know people. And um, that idea of connection because that's what affirmations is, right? Um, uh-huh. It's so important to me. And, of course, all of the important bits about understanding finance and understanding you know, all of that, of course, of course. But for me as a woman, this idea of tapping into this idea of deep connection with people um, has been a driving force. And earlier when we were talking about what we went through this summer, I said – I don't think of myself as an activist. And I just want to clarify, I think of myself, if anything, more as a community builder. You know, Mm. that's how I would define the work that I do with Affirmations is like trying to build community. And that's why Affirmations' mission aligns so well with with my personal mission. And um, so I think I bring that as a woman in the role. Uh Not to say that I can't. Uh-huh. Well, but well, it goes back to values. And, you know, and I think that men can. I think that as, as you see, I think that a lot of it is generational because sometimes as you see, you know, there was like they're supposed to do this, they're supposed to do that, where women, you know, like that's, like you said, like when you talk about your mother, how she was over this group and she was over that, building that sense yeah. of community. We often are building that sense of community and sometimes, and it's changing now, to where people value community more than, you know, just just the bottom line or being, you know, what does leadership look like? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's one of the things that, you know, I was really happy to see you there because it's it's continuing that tradition of really strong women, really strong women in the LGBTQ community. And there's a reason why we put the L first. You know, it used to be back in the day when they want to do the GLBT, but there's that L there, you know. Um, we've got women leading some really great organizations nationally. Yes. So, I mean, so I mean, that's just that's just amazing. So, how do you pull it all together? I mean, I know that that what you're doing professionally, you've got this role here with affirmations. Is there an overlap, or do you see that when you come into 
affirmations rather than being a coach you're more of a mentor yeah I think a little bit yes certainly um, more of a mentor I think um, when you when you become a coach it kind of is who you are everywhere and you sometimes you have to mm-hmm. um, check yourself <laughs> <laughs> because you know your spouse doesn't necessarily want to be coached <laughs> so <laughs> you're like okay I'm just going to be yeah exactly I'm just going to be a wife right now um, so yes I do think that I bring an element of that to affirmations um, but maybe more as a mentor I mean I really see my I see my role as affirmations is um, of course, governance and overseeing it, making sure we're financially sound and all that, but really just empowering Dave and his team to do what they are mm-hmm. so good at it and trying to get out of their way a little bit <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and to be a support person, to be a resource, to be someone you can run ideas by, to be someone that you can reach out to. But no one is um, an expert in running affirmations more than David Garcia, and I really mm-hmm. believe in him, and I see my role as being a mentor, being supportive, but really, he's the expert. Well, you know, I'll tell you, and this is my, my, one of the things that I like about Dave, I mean, especially having seen him when he was in Kalamazoo, then he came over here, then he left us. But you know how we talked about earlier how it's like the pathway? And I think that he heard that whisper of what he needed to do to grow and to follow the, follow what valued he had. And, I, I mean, because when you hear him talk, I mean, he, he went, but then he, he listened to that whisper, and he kept yeah. doing it and from the beginning. And, you know, I am just, like, happy to be in the, the second age of Dave Garcia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, really, I mean, uh, the second age of yeah. Dave Garcia, I think that there's, he's handling – I can't think of anybody better to be at the helm when this pandemic hit and to, and to do it. I think that even life, you know, being out in, in California and things probably made him think differently that we things that we could do. Yes. So tell me, Cheryl, are you hearing any whispers now? <laughs> You've already got me to tell you some of my secrets. No, um, <laughs> I feel like we're always hearing whispers. If we're not, if we're not hearing whispers, uh, let me say it this way: if we are not hearing our whispers, then we are not listening because our gut, mm. our intuition, our gut is always trying to give us messages, and we often tune out because we either don't want to hear it, or it means we might need to make a change, or it's scary or there's no logic, so some of us are just logic thinkers, and trusting our intuition is like, what? Where's the data? And so we're always hearing whispers. I'm not necessarily hearing any whispers right now that, I, um, that are forcing me to take a major change in my life. No, I feel like I, I really um, I like where I'm at, and I'm enjoying where I'm at right now professionally in a way that I hadn't before, so no. How about you, Michelle? Can I put you in the hot seat? Are you hearing any whispers? Oh, I'm hearing. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things that, that I, well, one of the whispers that I had heard had to do with writing. And finally, I had something that got me into that. I started doing writing and to do some of these other things that, that I do as far as reaching out and communicating. Um, 
I still hear a lot of the whispers about where I want to go with the writing, and to um, so I'm I'm determined to do that, you know. Um, But the other things come. Even I have been doing a radio show out of Chicago, and it was like a whisper told me that you know this is something to have these conversations with people to hear the wisdom. I loved what you just said. Like, you need to continue to hear the whispers. You know, I like that because I don't think that I'm done, (laughs) you know. I don't think that I'm done. I don't know what all it involves, you know. Although I will tell you that one time I heard a whisper that told me to sing, and I was shocked, you know. I was shocked. (laughs) And then I found myself on a stage in Chicago singing. And, you know, I I love it. it. I know. I did that. You know, don't tell Jay Kaplan because I told one of the whispers I have is that he's doing a one-woman <laughs> show. And Jay said, when you're ready, we're doing it at Affirmation. So, yeah, be prepared, you know. So, I mean, I always continue to hear the whispers. Um, sometimes I find that the whispers are inspired from other people. Um, yeah. I have enjoyed talking with you. I mean, uh, you've given me warm thoughts uh, to think about my mother and her involvement in community and how that made me be involved in community. Um, A lot of joy. I mean, a lot of great memories as you were talking about you with your son. I think about, you know, the good times and the struggles and how we do have that responsibility not to be out there always going like, let me tell you how to do it, but to share our stories because, There's a young Cheryl, there's a young Michelle out there who needs to know, listen to the whispers, live to your values, and go for it. Yes, absolutely. So true. So true. Well, Cheryl, it has been great talking to you. We have to do one of those coffee things. Yes. (laughs) Because, Because, you know, I want to keep this conversation going. I thank you for sharing your time with me. I thank you for stepping into to that hot seat at, at Affirmations and continuing, you know, the other thing, Affirmations, the home of badass women. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. I have really enjoyed it. I do feel like I just had a uh, soul conversation with uh, sister. So um, thank you for allowing me to, to do that. I feel, I feel it's been wonderful talking with you. Well, we will do it again. And hopefully Good. at some point in time, maybe we'll be six feet apart in our mask, but girl, we're going to yes. sit down and talk. <laughs> Good. I'm looking forward to it. I need it. <laughs> oh, yeah, me too. Well, Cheryl, thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest, Affirmations Community Center's board president and founder of Cheryl Zack Coaching and Consulting, LLC. Cheryl has been guiding professionals and now individuals through their work and life journeys for over 20 years. She offers these three tips everyone can benefit from. One, live to your values. Two, get over worrying about what others will think. And three, be realistic about making plans.
Be sure and follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening.